Once again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for this is God's throne. For, for by the earth, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for this is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let, you, simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Oh, silence. I'll try that one again. How are we doing today, people? Good, good. You liars. I know what kind of weeks you've had. You've lived in the same world that I have. You've enjoyed moments of joy, but plenty of disappointment, misery, failure of yourselves. LRA and Jay are talking about their week right now. Talk to me about it. What was good? What was bad? Sounds awesome. Brilliant. I love it when you two talk because you always invite me into it and we can always talk about it all together. This is good. And we got Matthew chapter 5. Somebody shout out a page number for those uh, who may not have got it. When you've got it, shout, I've got it. 684, Sue and Peter showing off. Anybody else got it? Awesome. In a minute, I've got to tell an embarrassing story. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to be telling you this story, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. But before we get there, I need to pray. Uh, let's pray for a whole stack of reasons. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we're about to open your sacred holy word. And when we open your word, you speak. I pray, O oh Lord, that the words of my mouth might reflect your heart and your intention and the glorious truth. We ask, Lord, that you would just cast a light on what is here because there will be stuff here, if it's from you, that will be full of goodness and positivity and hope and will require honesty and humility and, and grace at work in us. So living God, please come and let your word do its work in a way that is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For we ask in the good and saving and gracious name of Jesus. Amen. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story. I don't think I've told any of my kids this one. It was, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes you have memories. For those of you who are younger, they may be a little bit more fresh in your mind. For those of you who are older, you'll know what I'm talking about. There are memories of things that happen in relatively early childhood that just stick with you and in some way are formative. They sort of, they're, they're memories of things that suddenly you got on a wake-up call as to what the world is really like. It's like, oh, I'm thinking of one of those memories right now. Maybe you're thinking of yours, but my particular memory was on the um, little bit of wasteland that was right next to our house and the house where I grew up. I can't have been more than about four or five. I, in fact, it must have been about four because I'd only had properly started school. And in our little cul-de-sac, there was a number of little families and the kids would kick around and mess around together. So it was on a day where it was seemingly to everybody else a normal day. There was probably five of us out on that field whacking... Um, trees with sticks or playing soldiers or something like that and it was a normal day to everybody else there but not to me because that day I was wearing a new pair of pants 
Now, I'm not talking about the pants on the outside that we talk about, okay? My mum had bought me some superhero, incredible Hulk Y-fronts. And I felt a million dollars. And as we were kicking around on that field, none of them knew it but me. But I was bubbling over with excitement. I was sort of trying to find a way to slide. This is our four-year-old thinks. How do you slide this one into a conversation? And I don't know quite how it got there, but we got there in the end. I'm like, you'll never guess what I've got on. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, no, no. No, no, seriously, I have got, under my brown corduroy trousers, I ha- that's what it was in the very early 80s. You know, the kind of brown corduroy trousers. I wasn't at the age where they gave you a zipper, a button. It was sort of like spring-loaded in the side, so you just pulled them straight up. It was brilliant as a little kid. Matty's having flashbacks, <laughs> as we say in this. No, you haven't. I said, yes, I have. I said, then they said, well, let us see them then. And I'm like, in the field. I'm like, no, 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 I ain't going to let you see. Oh, you haven't got them on, have you? I said, yes, I have. I've got on my Incredible Hulk Y-front pants. And they're like, show us your Y-front pants. I'm not going to do that. The fear of shame, you don't do that in public. What is going on? And then there was the oldest amongst them. His name was Nick. And he wasn't a very nice young man. And I had a number of problems with him over the years. But I remember this one quite vividly. He said, okay. You show us your pants. <laughs> it's just, I'm so dodgy. You show us your pants and I'll give you 50p. <gasps> now, back then, 50p could buy you a month's worth of sweets, everybody. 50p was like, oh, winning the lottery. And he's like, I was, oh. at that point, I was like, that's enough to overcome my fear. I'd do that for 50p. And so I said to him, You'll give me, how do I know? How do I know you'll follow through? How do I know you'll do that? How do I know that you won't just run off laughing at me? And he said, I'll give you 50p, I swear. I said, really? Swear by what? I swear by God. And at that point, I'm like, whoa, he's called in the big guns right now. This, shall I risk it for a biscuit? And all the other lads are looking at him, then they're looking at me, then they're looking at him, then they're looking at me, and it's over to me. And what do I do in this moment of pressure? After all, I'm wearing incredible Hulk pants. And I'm feeling the power of the pants. So I'm like, you swear, by God, you'll give me 50p if I show you my pants. At which point I thought, let's let them loose. So I grabbed the corduroy brown, and down round my thighs came my trousers. And two things happened in that moment. Number one, everybody started laughing. And number two, at which point Nicholas pulled out from behind his back what had been there the whole time, and I didn't even realize it was this. He had crossed his fingers. And in that moment, they ran off laughing. I'm standing in the middle of the field with the Incredible Hulk feeling very angry around my middle. And I still feel you're laughing because you've been there. Oh, it might not have been involving the Incredible Hulk and pants. 
but there have been times when you have trusted somebody to come through on their commitments. Did I see that 50p? No! And you could say, Steve, well, you were very stupid. But he called on the name of the living God. And he found a way to wriggle out of his commitments. I'm still in therapy over all of that. But I'm talking to a bunch of people who desperately want to live in a world where people are reliable, fulfill their commitments, and when they say it, they do it. But do we live in that world? We certainly do not. Apparently, millennials are the least likely, you know, that younger age generation, uh, born since 95, I think it is, they are the least likely to trust politicians and media because they've heard the rhetoric, they've heard the promises, and people haven't delivered. How many people tell lies on their job application or their dating websites? Apparently, some research has been done. Who do you think lies the most on dating websites, men or women? I reckon if you're a man right now, you're saying women. And if you're a woman, you're saying men. And some of you are going, this is a trick question because he's going to say, how do you know anything about dating websites? Okay. No, apparently it was found out that it was even, but they lie about different things. What do you think women lie about? Their age, close. Their weight. On average, on dating websites, women uh, say they are eight and a half pounds lighter than they actually are. What do you think men lie about on dating websites? (laughs) I don't have a problem with any of these. (laughs) Three things, money, height, and the power of their job. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm so glad I'm never going to need a dating website. What were you thinking when you agreed to marry me? So people will lie about these things. Who do people lie to the most? I know if you're wise and you've been sitting in this church long enough, you'll say yourself, and that's biblically right. But it's, studies have shown that people are most likely to lie to who? Their parents. Their parents. Now, I have got parents, but right now I'm thinking as a parent. (laughs) I hate the fact, and you guys hate the fact, that we live in a world where people's words do not carry much weight. Otherwise, we wouldn't have constructed intricate rules about how we give credibility to our words. Oh, I swear down. Or... Literally, it was the best party ever. Or whatever set of rules that you decide to go along with. We live in a world of lies. And in this room are people who have been incredibly hurt by that, haven't you? Maybe you've known that just empty feeling where somebody has come clean, which is an amazing thing for them to do, about how they have lied to your face about something they said they would do or said they would be for you. And it just, oh, it's as if you're standing on sinking sand. The world is disappearing out from under you. 
Others of us in this room know the deep sense of regret, or perhaps we haven't even faced up to the need to regret it, that we are sometimes, with our words, the one who terribly, terribly lets people down. You know, as a pastor and somebody with responsibilities and makes commitments to you guys, this is a constant source of shame to me. For some of you, I've made commitments that I'll ring you this week. And probably the second time I said it, you were less confident about it. The third time, now some of you just know that when Steve says, oh, he'll ring you, or he means he intends to, but maybe he won't actually get through to it and get round to it. Others of you have really betrayed trusts. I thought my information was safe with you, i.e. there was a commitment there, but you've gone and used it. You see, we are both hurting and hurters when it comes to our commitments and the use of our words. And we're not the only ones. Because this text of the Bible that we're looking at today, Jesus confronts this such raw and central element of what we are like as people. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Lord Jesus Christ is announcing, I know the brokenness, but the real king who owns this world, who made you and loved you, has come. And I'm now going to tell you how my kingdom and coming into relationship with me is going to transform your life and then move out and transform the world. In fact, we were seeing it, didn't we? we say, we, we've been seeing how God changes the heart, the heart changes the person, the person changes the world, and then the world fights back. That's what we're going to be seeing here. And we're at this point where the Lord Jesus has been picking on things in which the religious leaders of the day had constructed ways of trying to keep the outward rules but not address the inner person. And they were lying to themselves, and they were lying to God. He'd raised a few eyebrows by this point, because he was saying, oh, oh, it's not just that you, when you, uh, a murder isn't just about shedding of blood, it's about the attitude and the rage that happens in your heart. Oh, adultery isn't just about going and doing the deed and cheating physically. No, no, adultery and dark and sexual desire are very much the same thing. It's all in the heart. And he's going to do exactly the same thing now when he addresses the way that we make commitments and use our words and then renege and back out because it suits us or because we can't be bothered. And I'm so glad that he is here today. He teaches us the law. We're going to see how he fulfills the law and then he works the law into us. And I'm so glad he's doing this because I'm more like my friend, Nick, than I like to admit. I need rescue, I need change, and Jesus is offering that to us today. So we've said it before, and we'll say it again, there could be somebody in this room today who's going to get free. Maybe get accelerated on a process of freedom. Maybe start today on a process of freedom because Christ in his words wants to meet us. So let's have a look to start off with at the struggle to keep our commitments. Verse 33, can you see it there? Verse 33, in fact, somebody read it nice and loud for us. Verse 33 of chapter 5. Okay, so immediately we're being told that the God has allowed this thing called oaths or swearing by. 
these big scale commitments. So often what will happen is to establish our sincerity or our seriousness or our honesty or the validity of our words, we will want to try to find something to give a bit of a backup to that. Now, God is truth, and he knows that truth creates safety. It was Jesus who came along and said, the truth will set you free when you know it. So to live in an environment of truth is wonderful. The Lord wants us to live in a world where when we tell somebody, I'll do it, we do it. When we tell somebody we will be there, we show up. And God hates it when we're not like that. In fact, what do you call somebody who says, oh, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to be this for you. I will be there for you. And they don't, and they're not, and they don't show up. What do we call somebody who does that? A letdown? Unreliable? Let's just call it for what it is. A liar. A liar. Now, can I remind you that in the Bible, who is the father of lies? Is it the Lord? The evil one. All lies come from him. Whose, whose character are we showing? What have lies done? Lies have broken everything. So the Lord hates it when people lie. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, there's not often times where we, uh, you know, all sin is, is evil and wrong and we will be accountable for it. But there are times and moments when the Lord particularly says there are things that he particularly detests. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, if memory serves, he, he, he rails off uh, six, seven things. Two of them are that he hates and detests lies. This one's pretty big for the Lord. God hates it when there are lies. And so we come to verse 33, which isn't in fact an exact quote. The Lord sort of pulls together a number of verses from the Old Testament law about truth-telling. So uh, they're pulled together from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, which says, Do not swear falsely by my name. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, when a man makes a vow to Yahweh or takes an oath, he must not break his word. Deuteronomy chapter 23, 21 says this, if you make a vow, do not be slow to pay it. Uh, Psalm chapter 15 says this, do not swear falsely for you are breaking an oath. Now, why is that there? The Lord has said to the people, there are times when your words need to carry a particular weight and you, the weight that you will be able to use is my name, but do it very carefully. Because in that moment when you use my name, you are attaching yourself and your commitment to me. And you don't want to swear falsely because it means you're accountable to me. So all the religious leaders of the day, they thought, that's great. Okay, I'll be able to make choices, make some commitments. And as long as I swear by the Lord, I will keep them. And the idea of the ones that they've not kept by swearing by the Lord was preposterous to them because they knew they needed an outward righteousness. And from their point of view, they were connected to the living God by keeping the outward rules, okay? But by the time of Jesus, they realized they needed wriggle room. So they designed an elaborate set of rule-keeping 
that where they could make some sort of vow or make some sort of commitment or make some sort of promise without the Lord's name involved, which was sort of levels of honesty that had more or less commitment. So they could back out and still feel that they hadn't broken God's rules. Because to, for them, they thought that they were in by keeping God's rules. Now, Jesus has already said to the people in verse 20, you're gonna, if you're going to be in my kingdom, you're going to need a level of righteousness and, and completeness and rightness in your life that far exceeds that kind of standard of the, chief, uh, of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. But they, they, they were like, hold on. I know I'm not perfect. I want to better do what I want to do, but I've also want to keep in with God. And, and so, oh, we're going to construct this system. And Jesus begins to expose it because you and me aren't fooled by it. Why would we think that the living God is as well? So this is how so often they, well, they had fallen into this set of rules to protect their view of themselves, to protect their righteousness before God and allow themselves off the hook when they weren't going to fulfill their commitments. They had this network of sneaky words so I can still give validity to the words that I speak and have a get-out clause if I change my mind about keeping my word. Now, amazingly, it's the stuff that's straight out of the playground. You know this one. The kid, what the kid's like. You said you'd play with me later today. Ah, but did I pinky swear it? What's your problem? I'm off the hook. It was that level, but with religious language put around it. That's what they would do. In fact, what we need to do is see it in action where the Lord Jesus, he's pouring scorn on it and disgust. Turn up Matthew 26, uh, 23, will you? Matthew 23. So you keep going, you're in Matthew 5. Move to the right a little bit. You get to Matthew 23 and verse 16. And he says, Woe to you, you blind guides. He's speaking to the religious elite again. You're being like the playground kids, and this is going to bring woe and disaster upon you before God because you think you're okay when you're not. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if someone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by an oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple or, uh, that makes the gold sacred. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if he, someone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by the oath. So do you see what they've done? What they've done is they said, I know I can't break rules with God or his name, but the further away from him we get, the more wriggle room I've got. So, well, let's just go back to, verse uh, chapter 5 and you see the Lord Jesus exposes this as absolute nonsense because they say verse 34 but I tell you do not swear at all either by heaven so some would swear by heaven but they wouldn't use the Lord's name and Jesus is like duh who lives there <laughs> stupid isn't it or what's the next one do not swear by uh, for, um, heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, who owns it, makes it, and it's his footstool. Or by the temple in the city of the great king, who's the great king. Or by your own life, you know, that's that, what that hair, black and white is. 
Oh, I swear on my own life. Whose life? Whose is your life? Now, do you, do you, this is beautiful because what we're seeing here is that we are much less divided than everybody in our country would like us to believe. That there is uh, us and our choices and our decisions here and there is God somewhere off who we, we bolt on. No, the Lord Jesus here is saying wonderfully that we are utterly connected, that every moment of every day is lived before him. He is the silent witness of every conversation. There is nothing that has the Lord left out. But of course, the religious leaders aren't very happy about that because they want to be able to have their rule-keeping part of their life and then they want to do whatever their hearts desire, no matter how unrighteous, no matter how many people it hurts, no matter how many people it lets down, and they want to go out in public and look as if they're in with God. And so often, we do as well. They would swear by stuff further and further from God with less obligation to be honest and they would view themselves as having their righteousness intact. Was it? No. Not at all. Now I know it's nuts, but I do it too. So I had a text exchange with somebody earlier this week. I'm going to expose them. I'm not going to tell you who it was. I said, are you going to such and such? How did that come back? Answer, probably. Uh, Yes or no? Mm, More yes than no. Are you going to turn up? Uh, All things being well. What's happening there? Keeping my options open. And that's what we do with people. Oh, the opposite of that is sometimes maybe you're like me as well. You make rash promises. Sometimes what I find myself doing is there's things that I know I should do, but I know often that I'd lack the ability to do it on my own. So what I do is I promise somebody I will do it and use that as the sort of proverbial spiritual kick up my own backside to make me do it. And invariably, I fail and I've condemned myself by my words. Anybody else done that? Of course you have. We're all made of the same stuff. So often I'm holding out for a better offer. Can I speak particularly to mobile phone culture. Do you all know what FOMO means? What does FOMO? What's FOMO? Fear of missing out. You're so down with the kids. Hip and trendy. And we are paralyzed by this idea that if I commit to one thing, I will have to miss out on something else. People will be having fun without me and I'll really regret it. And people are becoming less and less reliable. They turn up less and less. They commit. They won't commit long time in advance because I want to keep my options open. I think that's one of those secret little code things that we do to not be honest enough to say, I just want to do what's best for me. Sod ya. Please, can we be more honest with this? Please. See, I'm a people pleaser. I won't swear by the name of the Lord, but I'll put words in front of me. So I'll say things like, just to give authenticity to my words, I'll say, no lie. Anybody ever said that one? No lie. I was awesome on the pitch last night. Or swear down. I'll definitely be there. Yeah? Sound common? Isn't it strange the way that to do that... And when we do that, we're making a confession. 
when we have to choose little ways and rules to add credibility to our words, what is it that by the back door we're confessing we're really like? If we're having to marshal big words to try to give our words some credibility, what does it say about the trustworthiness of our words in the first place? There isn't a lot going on. If I have to swear it, it's because my credibility is already shaky, flaky, and in question. The battle is already lost. You don't believe me. Why don't you believe me? Because your track record shows you're inconsistent, and you've let me down in the past. An old sage says this, and get this, you'll have to think about it. He who will not be honest without a vow will not be honest with a vow. <sighs> Bang. I didn't mean it. I was only joking. I was messing. Oh, I'm in mother's grave. I swear I'm alive. You know what we're talking about. I think this is really important with some leaders. You know, when we take a responsibility to lead in the home or lead in the church, we take on something of a sacred responsibility. We have to be incredibly careful. Have you noticed that when a leader proves unfaithful to a commitment, it damages more people? We've got to be so careful with this. So the Lord Jesus says, how stupid you are. Duh, God is in heaven. Earth is his footstool. He is the great and mighty king. Your head belongs to him. You cannot leave him out of a vow. Everything is before him. And so I hope we get the problem. If everything is before him, you should be terrified. In fact, there's a whole psalm in the Bible, Psalm 139, that so often is done too often at women's conferences because it sounds as if it's really nice that God knows me. No, when the psalmist wrote that, he said, this is too awful, too Ah, for me to take in, wherever I am, you know my thoughts, you know my deeds, and you know my words. How can I escape the terror of being utterly exposed in the presence of God? I've sworn and I've sworn by your name, and my, my, my words don't match up even my intentions, and half the time my intentions are darkened and grubbed with selfishness. And you are there, Lord, and you are seeing it, and you know... I am utterly terrified. So our only hope will be in the one who is telling us about this. In the hope that the king who says, this is what my kingdom will look like, is the king who can deal with our problem and make us new. Who's the only person who's ever walked the face of this planet? and not failed to keep a commitment, not failed to honor the name of the Lord. Oh, he made a couple of vows, and he fulfilled them. All the way through the Bible, we see this building problem. On the one hand, you've got people who are dishonoring the name of the Lord in the way they live and in their failure. to t They just don't tell the story of what God is like, because God is so faithful. Whatever he commits to, he will do and they attach his name to their actions, and immediately they've self-condemned themselves. And the Lord has said, 
I will judge evil, sin, and deceit, and I hate lies, and it will be answered for. But I've also said I will bring a salvation and a renewal to broken, filthy liars who are unfaithful and don't keep their commitments. And the big question is, how will he do that? And Jesus comes up and says, I will fulfill that commitment. Oh, will it hurt you, Jesus? You bet it will. For me to fulfill that commitment will cost me everything. Oh, when it looks like it's too hard for you lot to fulfill your commitments, you back out, you make excuses, you pass the book, but not me. I say what I do, and I mean what I say, and you can bank on that. And I go to a cross, dying in the place, accused of being a blasphemer, though there was no deceit ever in my mouth. And I go there, and I illness for every single liar, false swearing, lack of commitment, person who never told the story of what the true and living God is like. And now I have paid that price. Listen, it's so important, he says to me. He says this to you and he says this to me. It is so important that you know that I am trustworthy. Why? Because the only way you can ever connect to me, this is the gospel, the only way you ever connect to me is by the fact I fulfilled commitments for you, not that you've done it to me. You are brought into my family by my commitments that are trustworthy. Now, I know some of you are sitting there and you're going, I've got trust issues. Yeah, I know. And you've got trust issues because people have failed you. And you're tempted to revisit that onto Jesus Christ. Whenever you are, you look at that cross. Because that cross is the promise to you and me that he will save to the uttermost. That he will renew. That he will bring you home. That he has saved His commitments are at the cross. So if you've got trust issues, whatever you do, don't measure him by other people. Testimony, testimony, testimony. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I am the truth, says Jesus. You can bank on me. But the gospel doesn't stop there. Because on top of him dealing with your sin in this matter, he does more than that. He takes his name and puts it on you. Come into my family. You're included in my kingdom and you will be known by my name. Christian. And I know you're a failure at keeping your commitments, but I will work in you so you are not the same. Remember, Christian, if you bear his name, you drag him into every moment, every word, everything you say. It's on him. And in that moment, you are either telling the story of what he has done or denying it with your words, your actions, and your heart. Now, I'm so encouraged by the simplicity of what he says. Look at verse 37. He says, this is how you will now live. This is By meeting me and knowing me as your commitment-keeping king, this is how you will live. Somebody read it. It's so simple. It's so simple. That's right. Do you understand? And I hope you love the simplicity. I heard this week of a lawyer who works in a big city firm 
and he read that for the first time and his understanding of that was, wow, that is so simple. Yes, yes, no, no. In my line of work, we work very hard to come up with a form of words that mean that when we want to renege on our commitment, we can. But here is somebody of integrity. You understand what integrity is? It's, it's unity together, that you're not a divided person. So in that moment and in that conversation, you realize that God is present and you're not living as two people, the you version and the, Christ, uh, the Christian version. No, no, they're always together, always together, because you're so aware that the Lord is there. What is he going to grow in us? He's going to make us people of character. Anything less than that is hellish and of the evil one. So he says this, effectively, let your reputation be the validation for your words. Can I say that again? Let your reputation be all the validation your words need. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Now, I know some of us, as we listen to that, should be quite worried by that because you feel like your reputation isn't very much at all. Because you know that so often you fail on your commitments, you portray one thing about yourself, you use a form of words, and then you back out. Or you change your mind. Or some better offer comes along. Or you feign an illness and don't turn up because it's a bit difficult. This is where you start. The Lord Jesus says, okay, start again today and let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And don't do anything hellish. And if it means that you miss out because people don't trust your words, then you bear with that and you live with that one. Some of us are going to have to walk with that for a little while. In fact, listen, as I, as I wrap up, I've, I've just sort of got three practical applications of what this will actually look like and mean. The first one is this, be really clear about your intentions. When you use your words, they matter to the Lord. He wants you to live out this new life of a righteousness that is greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Sometimes we overpromise and make commitments that we don't think through at the time. Sometimes I do this with my kids and it breaks my heart. Oh yeah, I'll definitely, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, watch the, we'll sit down and have a family cinema today. And I really mean it at the time, but then it gets a little bit later on and I faffed around doing things that I probably shouldn't and, I, and my work hasn't gone quite as well and I sacrifice my commitment. So don't be, I won't be surprised if there are times when my kids are thinking, when daddy says that, does he really mean that and can we really trust him? And in that moment, I'm telling a story about who the Lord is to them. How can they trust me about the commitment and faithfulness of the living God when I'm not committed and faithful? It's going to cast a lot of doubt upon it, isn't it? Or perhaps we need to ask ourselves whether we commit to stuff that we have absolutely no intention of following through. I tell you, this is in particularly important in the area of interpersonal relationships. So we go something like this. Boy starts dating girl. Girl sort of likes boy. Boy really likes girl. So he wants to express certain feelings. Stands on the doorstep and says, I really love you. 
and I'll never hurt you. And it's like, girl goes, ding, 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 exactly the words I want to hear. Wow, he'll always love me and he'll never hurt me. Three months down the line, boy has seen another girl that looks a little bit different. Boy goes to the same doorstep and says, um, it's, it's not you, it's me. Um, I, things have changed, feelings have changed. Um, do you know, I think we need to bring this to an end. But you said you'd never hurt me. You're a liar. So be incredibly careful about your intentions, about what you say to people. Do not over-promise. I think as well, you need to be, another application is this. You need to think through about how you deal with the fact that sometimes we do renege on our commitments. Maybe you made a commitment in good faith and something has happened and the circumstances now different. How do you rightly get out from a commitment without eroding your character and trust? Remember, when you make a commitment to somebody, what is it you're doing? You're taking that little box and you're putting it into their hands and saying, this is something that I am giving to you. You see that? And you can do it in the most simple way with your words. You give them something. You make a pledge. It's put into their hands. And if you are not able to fulfill that, what do you need to do honestly and humbly, politely and reasonably? What you do is you go to them and you say, please forgive me. Some things have come up that I couldn't be in control of. The circumstance and situation has changed. Would you be willing to give me that commitment back? I would like to take it back, but I realize only you can give it me back because I gave it to you. And you'll be surprised how many people are willing to do that under the circumstance, but I don't think we take the time and effort to go to do that enough. And quite often what we will do is we will change our commitments because we've just had a better offer, feel bad about it, and make a silly excuse. They have the right to eyeball you and say, oh, I know that you've got, you've got to change a circumstance all right, but is this self-motivated or is it just that you're afraid... Uh, and is it that you're afraid to do a hard thing because your words ultimately reveal that you would just want to serve yourself? Which leads me on to the, the last and final thing, is that we need to be a people because we know we're saved by grace and that cross was necessary for you and me. We've already agreed that we lack commitment. We've already, by gathering under that cross, told the truth about ourselves and we know that we're the kind of people who let one another down. So if that is the case, we ought to be very quick at showing salt and light, not by the perfection of our life, but by the fact that we have got the ability to go to somebody and say, I failed you, my words were not up to scratch, I, my sincerity was lame, my authority was bad, please will you forgive me? And in that moment, we're maintaining our integrity because we're living out the gospel. We're telling the story of the gospel because we're saying that I needed a saviour to forgive me of my lying and my lack of commitment and my dishonouring of God's name and of not telling his story. 
I will be somebody who is poor in spirit, mourning over my brokenness, and I'll be telling the story, and even in that, I'm salt and light. If we pretend, then the opposite will happen. You want me to trust you, who can't be trusted for anything, to trust the God of the universe? Nobody will believe us when we preach the gospel because our life and our lip do not connect up to it. So often we have trusted, or somebody before they could become a Christian has trusted a Christian. Now that's an amazing possibility for all of us, but with it comes a massive weight of responsibility to be authentic. Jesus says simply, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And in doing that, you will tell my story to a world full of lies. We will push back the darkness. Light will break forth. And people will start to say, I don't necessarily agree with them. In fact, some of the things that they think really repulse me. But by their character and their faithfulness, I am so glad they are here. Is that what we want for people to think and speak? Of course it is. Is that what we want our kids to think as they grow up? Is that what we want the experience of our relationships to be? Jesus the King says, let me loose. Have this in your mind. Follow me. You bear my name. I will be with you. And we're going to sing the only song that we really can about this which is all his promises are yes and amen.